0: Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One.
1: Do you think bananas are healthy? Think again. I'm Dr. Stephen Gundry, best-selling author of the Plant Paradox series. And on the Dr. Gundry Podcast, you're going to learn the foods to eat and the ones to avoid, to lose weight, boost your energy, and feel your most vibrant active self this year. You'll also learn simple tips from the world's top experts on health and nutrition. Plus, you'll discover the truth about calories, how running could actually be hurting your health, and why fat won't make you fat. Subscribe now to the Dr. Gundry Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Because I'm Dr. Gundry, and I'm always looking out for you. Well, the folks at BiOptimizers have done it again. They've just released their new and improved formula for magnesium breakthrough, described as the most powerful magnesium supplement on the market today. The product was great, but BiOptimizers has continued to do research and making attempts at improving it. This new fourth-generation formula means magnesium breakthrough is now even more potent. If you've already taken magnesium breakthrough, you'll want to try the new formula because it now includes cofactors like B6 and manganese. If you've never tried Magnesium Breakthrough before, now is the perfect time to try. Here's a testimony from Dr. Mark Circus, who says there's going to be only one answer, and the answer is magnesium for many health problems. Well, he says that because of two important reasons. First, magnesium is involved in 80% of the body's metabolic reactions, and second, about 75% of people are not getting enough magnesium. And the problem is bigger than most people think. When you don't get enough magnesium, you may suffer from decreased sleep hygiene, low energy perhaps. In every bottle of Magnesium Breakthrough, you get the seven unique forms of organic full-spectrum magnesium, which hopefully will add and contribute to your health. It can help you sleep longer, deeper, better hygiene and sleep, hopefully contribute it to the all-day energy that helps you win at life. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed, and you'll be amazed by the improvements and how much more rested you feel if it's helping your sleep when you wake up, of course. For an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Dr. drew. Use DrDrew10 at checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. And one last thing, if you want to help your loved ones, consider giving them the gift of magnesium breakthrough for Mother's Day, Father's Day, or even the spring birthdays. Again, that special link is magbreakthrough.com slash Drew. Use Dr. Drew ten during checkout to save ten percent and get free shipping. Hey everybody, welcome to Doctor Drew podcast. Again, we appreciate you hanging with us. And supporting the people that support us here. Uh, do not uh, forget to check out DrDrew.TV. We do a streaming show there. A lot of interesting people coming through. More day-and-date type stuff as well. So do check it out. Uh, and uh, don't forget the uh, Instagram, Dr. Drew Pinsky. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Anne-Marie Schubert, Sacramento District Attorney. Her website is Anne-Marie4AG, Attorney General of California. Anne-Marie, A-N-N-E, Marie-M-A-R-I-E4AG.com. And also Twitter at Schubert4AG. She is known for the successful prosecution of Golden State Killer, Second Story Rapist, California Unemployment Fraud, which I'm sort of interested in. And marie welcome to the program.
2: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much.
1: So I want to first give you the chance to give me your sort of political platform. In other words, why should we vote for – I, I wasn't – you know how out of politics I am. I thought AG was an appointed position in this state. It is not, evidently.
2: It's not. It's an elected position. The, the current person in position, Rob Bonta, was appointed by Governor Newsom a little over a year ago, close to a year ago. Um, so, I mean, let me just kind of tell you who I am. First of all, I've, I'm I'm not a politician. Probably like you, I'm I'm just a career prosecutor. I've been in the business for 31 years. I absolutely love my profession. I I grew up in the trenches spent the majority of my career in violent crime, prosecuting child abusers, sexual assault, homicide cases. My passion has and always will be cold cases. Um, so the Golden State Killer is, is obviously one of the pinnacles of that, but I've had many, many others that I could probably spend a few hours talking about and including ones where we've exonerated people with DNA. So um, I ran for DA in Sacramento in 2015 and I was very grateful to have great support One won one again in 2018, and then about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, several of my colleagues, just as we've watched the demise of public safety in California and the quality of life for all of California's, several of my colleagues who are DAs across California, some from conservative counties, some from more liberal counties, said, you ought to run for AG. And and just my little backstory, I'm, I'm an independent. I'm, not, not, I'm a no-party preference kind of gal. Um, I was a Republican Republican. i'm not a political person that's what my dad registered as i always vote i'm a good citizen but i'm a prosecutor i believe in a balanced system i believe in accountability i also believe in rehabilitation 100 percent and um but i've also watched the demise of the laws i mean you know i know you know this dr drew we can you can drive around and you can see the demise of our state under the overpasses in our parkways mm-hmm. in the parks it's it's um it is an it's a humanitarian crisis that we're facing, mm-hmm. and there are some folks, as you know, out there that want to say it's simply a public health issue. What we're seeing with drug addiction, mental health—it's not. It's a public safety issue as well. Um, well let, it's let, a blend. Let's let's stop. <coughs>
1: let's go dig into that a little bit right away. So, sure. it it's it is a blend. It it is both. Um, the reason. <laughs> the reason we have a public health issue is the laws prevent us from helping these people who are so ill. They just prevent 100%. it. And yep. so it, it, it to deny that mix is insane. Uh, it all, for me, harkens back to the Community Mental Health Act of 1962 or 63, which was uh, President Kennedy's last signature he put to a document before going to his fateful journey to Dallas. And the the principles of that document were to undo the state healthcare systems, which were deemed to be draconian, awful, horrible. 150 years of development was undone with the stroke of a pen. In the name of the uh, directors of the National Institute of Mental Health at the time had this bizarre notion. We had three psychoanalysts in that position over about 30 years. None of them had ever treated anybody with serious mental illness. All of them took the Foucaultian position that mental illness was caused by institutions, which is so drastically insane. uh, And they dismantled all the state healthcare systems in the name of community mental health centers, which were abject failures and finally closed by President Reagan in the eighties because they weren't serving anyone. Uh, And so here we are, uh, and that it disgorged all those patients to the streets the nursing homes and the prisons. And since then further efforts to undermine any ability to do anything with those folks that were now in the nursing homes and the prisons. uh, Now we can't do anything anywhere with them and they just die on the street. So there we are. That's the shorthand, the short (laughs) strokes. Yeah. Um,
2: It's, it's a combination of those kinds of, of actions, but it's also a combination of things like prop 47. I mean,
1: I'm
2: sure you're very familiar with it. And I, I, I was elected in in the summer of 2014. So I wasn't the DA yet, but I was on a phone call in the fall because that's when that ballot initiative was on the ballot and I was trying to implore people, this is not a good idea. Yeah. This is going to result in massive theft, you know, only enabling drug addiction. Yeah. Prosecutors are going to lose the tools of drug courts, all those things that matter and I believe it was the biggest con job in California history, the way it was written mm-hmm. and the promises that were made. And now we're, we're that's one of many, but yeah. it, there's many bad public policies, but we're in this predicament in large part because it's, as I say, a tsunami of, of bad things.
1: Can you, they, they are legislative bad things though. Can you do anything as an AG?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, you can, um, I mean, first of all, you know, even in my elected DA role, I take a pretty assertive role in legislative advocacy, But as the AG, I would do the same thing. I mean, the problem with 47 is that we can't fix it without really going back to the ballot box. There's no political will in our legislature to fix it. It's, you know, it's always tends to be a five to two vote against anything that's actually going to fix things that Hmm. we're we're recognizing are not working. Um, So as the AG, I have every, every intention to try to step into that. It's not just about enabling drug addiction. We have serial theft it's rampant right i mean yeah. i mean i know you're down in la i mean all you oh, yeah, got to do ridiculous. is look at the yeah. the railroad cars and what's happening in the stores and you have got citizens now tackling thieves and
1: and then and uh, you got a, and you've got a governor going oh what's going on here oh i don't understand what this is oh governor you don't understand what this is then we are in big trouble <laughs> it's really something well
2: we're we it is something and so it's for me i'm not running for ag other any other reason i love the state we are the most beautiful State in the country, both, you know, we're ethnically diverse, we're geographically diverse. And yet we got people that are, you know, at cocktail conversations are talking about violent crime, homelessness, and where are you going to move to? And that's right. not the, that's not where we should be. Uh, right. It's not the way we should raise our kids.
1: Oh, my kids are can't wait to get out of here. They're, they're disgusted with it, and they're in their 20s. And they're like, this is not a state I can live in for multiple reasons, not just how decayed it is, but also the cost of living and the quality of life, everything gone. Um, I think one thing, it seems to me as, EG, as AG, that there might be an opportunity, or I don't know, maybe I'll, let me not frame it that way. I would like to see us reopen Lanterman Petra Short. Lanterman himself went to his grave having felt that this was one of the gravest errors in California history, and yet all of the uh, mandates for holding people against their will were really uh, fashioned after LPS here in this state. Isn't it time to get more in tune with what's medically appropriate? And reopen LPS and and conservatorships, even though conserv- conservatorships have a bad name, thank you to uh, Britney Spears' dad. But, you know, I, what I what I kept saying is, like, OK, Brittany wants to get off conservatorship. Fine. She deserves a chance. And here's here's one of the reasons I think so. I can walk across the street and find somebody that needs a conservatorship more than her. I can't get that right. guy a conservatorship. What's wrong with this okay. state? So LPS conservatorship. What about looking at those two things again? Might might help the sickest amongst those that are out you know, wandering the streets.
2: agree. There was a study that came out at the end of last year. It's called grading the states on um, how do we do in California versus other states. And we got a D minus on our psychiatric laws because we don't like on on 5150, you know, we have the most, we don't allow family members to allow somebody to be treated involuntarily. I mean, don't, don't we think that they are probably the best ones to see that our, our siblings are, Family members are kind of circling the drain on drug addiction, mental health.
1: They, they are the ones so most one. desperate. They're the most desperate. They've gone I've gone sent them up to Sacramento and they've been told to scram. Told to get out of here. Yes. Yeah. Who are so, you to I say?
2: Mean, right. So, you know, we have to be willing to step in. I mean, listen, people that are at that state when they are seriously drug addicted, mentally ill, are not capable of making those decisions. And In my view, we have to get to the point where we say we're going to mandate treatment, and there's—I mean—there's no political will from some of these activists to do that. Well, I don't. don't What?
1: What is that? I don't understand. None of them have any experience treating sick patients. So why is anyone listening to them? Number one, but number two, what's the what's the issue? What's wrong with helping people that are going to die if you don't help them? I I don't understand. And by the way, no physicians. Where is the American Psychiatric Association? Why, Why aren't any physicians on any of these committees? That, that are making decisions about people with brain disorders.
2: I think if you look at like some of the local politics, if it's whether it's San Francisco or some of the urban cities, you know, there's so much activists that are controlling the narrative in many of these it's places. It's
1: weird, but why, what is, where's <clears throat> that energy coming from? I, I, it doesn't make sense. It, it, it doesn't fun, really, doesn't a lot sense.
2: of funding. It's like I guess it's funding. funding, funding it's, yeah. it's, you know, if you keep funding, you know, the demise of people and and the service of people, and you don't, and you don't, you just let them use drugs openly, and, you know, in these open air drug scenes, then you can keep funding those, those organizations. And I think it's most folks, it's just, you know, your average citizen, if you're walking down the street and some of these communities, is like, this is not humane to let these folks die in the gutters. Well,
1: you know, and I don't, I don't even <clears throat> object to any sort of uh, drug replacement therapies, even if you're giving the patient heroin, so long as you're doing something active to motivate that person towards right. health. I, I, again, I have no philosophical anything other than helping the patients, getting them through this, getting them out of it. It's all I did for years. And to see them all dying, and being unhelped, it's so glaring to somebody that had worked in that field for a long time. The other thing to to switch gears a little bit on you, I I always say, and by the way, I'm not in favor of everybody's mandated treatment. I'm in in favor of a carrot and a stick and holding people who are so ill that they really can't make decisions for themselves. And I would point to dementia patients. So if I have a patient with uh, bipolar disorder and drug addiction who's wandering around the streets, flailing their arms, walking in traffic, doesn't know the day or the date, think I'm, you know, disorganized about who they are, can't think straight, um, you know, whatever, and if that is due to dementia and I don't treat that patient, I could be guilty of a crime, not just malpractice. But if it's bipolar or schizophrenia, you you're not allowed to go near them. Why is one brain disorder protected and the other brain disorder, if I don't help, I, I'm criminally accountable? Isn't that weird? I
2: think it's been politicized. Again. I think it's happened.
1: Yeah. That's not about the medicine, as always. It's never... It, it's, i I'll, I'll refer everybody case a in our prosecution uh covid nineteen but anyway, and lockdowns and school masking and masking at the age of five and all these things that don't have any medical <laughs> basis for them um, all right anyway, here we are uh never thought i'd be here in in, in my career. Um. Right. So so. Prop forty-seven. Prop fifty-seven. AB one hundred five or one hundred nine. Is it one hundred five? One hundred nine. Right? Yeah. One hundred nine. One hundred nine. That was the beginning. Yeah. Uh, the we we actually went up there. I'm blanking on the name of the politician's name. And we end up. We went went up there with a a bill to try to reopen LPS and to empower families to have some say, like you're saying in this. Right and uh, we're just summarily you know, families up there sobbing I have resources, I have a doctor ready to go, I have a bed for my loved one I can't get him or her off the street help me create a legislation that will do that let's reconsider LPS and he brilliantly sort of painted the history of LPS which is nefarious and disturbing and again Lanterman himself went to his grave guilty over having uh, championed that through, he felt it was one of the worst legislations and uh, the legislature is heartless. Tells people just to get out, get out of here. I, it's I,
2: not a com- uncommon thing.
1: Th- that's disgusting to me. It really, it's just disturbing on a level that just I, I don't know what to do with it.
2: Well, we see the same thing on on crimes that involve, mean, or laws that it, or bills, I should say, on public safety. We've mm-hmm. had to bring you know the wives of murdered people to come to come to the legislature to say really? You're going to let this guy out after 20 years when the judge said he's going to never get out? So there's just some, a lot of disheartening where the, you feel like they get two minutes, right, to tell mm-hmm. their, their story and then they're disregarded.
1: Ugh. Well, let's talk a little bit about child abuse, which is something that um, you have been interested in. And let me just frame this mm-hmm. conversation by saying um, I have seen the fallout of, of uh, childhood sexual abuse well childhood abuse of all times Whether any and by the way for me it's a broad category of adverse childhood experiences it includes, exactly. divorce, Absolutely. And it includes yep. divorce it includes divorce it includes domestic yep. abuse and it you know includes aggression in the home and violence and, and a dad in jail by the way is, is a ACE but um, right. but recently and so so anyway, so I, I am um, extremely concerned about this and I, and I always by the way say that in my world I, I ran a large drug treatment program in a psychiatric hospital where we had a reputation of taking care of the recalcitrant polydiagnosed patients. And in my world, if you came to see me, there was a 100% probability of, of childhood abuse, overt, physical abuse with an object, sexual abuse, yeah. abandonment, neglect, uh, chaos with drug addiction in the home, that kind of stuff. Um, but childhood, so, so anyway, I am not, uh, I have no um, illusions about what this is and the consequences. The, the one area of philosophical concern for me is that I'm, I'm framing this up in a way that I, I hope we can have this conversation in a very civil way because I don't want people to accuse us of things, so I'm I'm setting it up carefully, which is that the you know I did a radio show where every night we talked to children that were being abused or had just been a physical, sexually abused in particular, the old show Love Light. Sexual abuse was rampant in all, all of our callers. And I knew that the child that I was sitting there talking to, and by child I consider under 18, uh, that that child had a significant probability of becoming a perpetrator if they were not properly treated. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the perpetrators that we see today are the chi- the children who our hearts were being torn apart for uh, 10 or 15 years prior. So there's a weird philosophical sort of conundrum in, in all this. So the, the conundrum is how— how aggressive to be with the perpetrators. Well, some perpetrators that are sociopaths and need to be – frankly, I wouldn't be disturbed by the, the death sentence for those people. They, they they exist for sure. But a lot of them are people that feel terrible about their impulses and do everything they can to curtail them, contain them, obfuscate them in other directions. There's a lot of that out there. Um and so the question becomes – and you and you want to have um, – I'm sure you agree. You want to have consequences severe enough that no one really contemplates acting out these impulses. But by the same token, we live in this time of all this electronic media stuff, and please don't misunderstand me. This is, this is delicate territory, and I don't know the answer to it. But when the current Supreme Court nominee starts talking about um, – Having a graduated scale, at least for certain kinds of exposure to certain kinds of material, I'm a little bit sympathetic to it, and I, and I, it makes me feel bad. <laughs> it Makes me feel like, am, am I right in that? Or should should it just be all off with their heads, or should there be a graduate? I'm just curious on your sort of position on this. Well, did I did I frame this? I did, say... I, did I did I frame it well? Did I frame this conversation well? No,
2: I mean well? I think there's no question that people that mm-hmm. tend Typically, when somebody becomes a child molester, it's because they have suffered the trauma themselves,
1: right? Yeah, but I'm, I not I have no once. Once they go as far as touching a human, all bets are off. To me, it's like a drug addict who commits a terrible violent crime. Sorry, I'm right. no. I have no patience with their drug addiction anymore. Now it's a criminal justice system. Period. End. But if somebody's trying to curtail their impulses by looking at something and then accidentally shit pours down on them, and or they can't stop looking or something. There's no science there to say that's not a decent strategy for them to get to the point where they don't touch somebody. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Obviously, the fact that that stuff is produced is the horror. The fact that somebody yes, makes 100%, that shit, but, yes. but there's already millions and millions of stuff out there. Images. Yeah, yeah images there out is. there. So, I, mean, so I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. Help me.
2: Well, I think, I mean, I think for me, we have to acknowledge that somebody that's looking at child pornography has something something wrong. I yes, mean they, yes. They've got it. They, they're wired wrong yes. and they have to deal with whatever it is that causes them to be attracted to children. Yes. And so like in our system, in the state system, at least, you know, it depends on your age. It depends on how, you know, how much you have, what it is. So so we do, we do,
1: we do graduated stuff here in a sense.
2: Well, I think so. I mean, sometimes if you have California, large amounts of, yeah, if you yeah. have large amounts of child porn, it might go to the federal prosecutors. Yeah. Um, but in California, you know, if you have child porn, are you automatically going to prison? No, it depends okay. on the circumstances. Okay. Okay. So, so I don't so, think it's—I'm not trying to say we're soft on yeah. those types of crimes, no. but we have to always look at the individual and what, how they came to this place, what's their background, all that stuff. Yeah. But for God's sake, we got to treat them. Yeah. We don't turn that that visualization into act, you know, action. Well, and, right? and to be
1: fair, see the the field of treating somebody at that stage is. I'm not sure there's enough science to to even say we can treat them successfully, or what percentage we can treat successfully. Right. And right. there may be, and not me. There's a lot of harm avoidance out there in the world. There may be a group that starts saying, "No, no, no." Them looking at these images is how we prevent them from moving on. Well, it's I, like
2: I, the whole harm reduction.
1: Exactly, exactly. I, I, I'm not advocating. Yeah. I'm just saying that will come up. Um, yeah. But but be that as it may, I, you're 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 actually. Making me feel better because I thought, God, are my instincts off? I just, I just heard the way the federal um, uh, hearings were going, and I thought, I, I, this is making me uncomfortable. This is not a, a black and white kind of issue. It is a, it is a much more nuanced, much more challenging topic than than they were making it. Which, of course, that was all right. political maneuvering and stuff. I get it. But you're, you're reassuring me that that my instincts are not completely off base. I started worrying about myself. I was thinking, I was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, because these kids, you know, I, again, I deal with the people when they've been abused. I have profound right. passion for the empathy for them, passionate empathy right. for them, and yet they may go do horrible things. And what I focus on is getting them before they do the horrible things. I mean, that's right. really the, the right. job. Same thing with drug addiction. I mean, if if you're an alcoholic, you go out and kill somebody d- drunk. Uh, that's not me anymore. That's that's you. That's uh, that's now Anne-Marie's going to take care of you because I'm not I'm not. She, she's gonna <laughs> she's going to see you in the courtroom well. and, and that's where you belong, frankly. Uh, so yes. that's that. Well, our friends at BetterHelp, that's right. People don't often realize that physical symptoms, headaches, teeth grinding, that kind of stuff can be a sign of. Stress, emotional difficulties, uh, I've been referring people, friends, family, and patients to BetterHelp. BetterHelp, of course, is customized online therapy that offers video phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can match with a therapist in under 48 hours. And, of course, don't worry about stigma. People have resistance to going to see therapists. But in this day of electronic media and people are getting used to it in the days of COVID, you don't have to even have your camera on if you don't want to. That's right. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And the Dr. Drew Podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com. drew That is B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com. B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com/drew. Pendulum glucose control is the first and only medical probiotic clinically shown to help manage type 2 diabetes when taken, of course, with medication. That's right. Uh, Over time, people with type 2 diabetes lose their gut bacteria that help them digest fiber and manage blood glucose levels. For those with type 2 diabetes, diet and exercise alone may not be sufficient to manage it. Of course, medication is very important. And Pendulum Glucose Control is designed to lower A1c and after-meal blood glucose levels to help manage type 2 diabetes. If you struggle to manage these levels with diet and exercise alone, gut microbiome might be something that's worthy of your attention. With Pendulum, you feel in control. Pendulum's team of scientists, physicians, and innovators isolated the unique strains of beneficial gut bacteria that help people with type 2 diabetes. So if you or someone you love has type 2 diabetes... Take control of glucose levels with pendulum glucose control. Use code Drew DREW at pendulumlife.com to get twenty percent off your first month of membership. That is P-E-N-D-U-L-U-M L I F E dot com. Promo code Drew for twenty percent off your first month of membership. Well, crowd health is a different sort of way of thinking about paying for healthcare. It's not health insurance. 250,000 people with health insurance went bankrupt last year. The problem with insurance is you pay big premiums, high deductibles. With CrowdHealth, again, it's a community that puts community back into community health care. You pay one low monthly total to fund your account. And 100% of your monthly contribution goes directly to reducing the health care cost of the community. You'll pay only the first $500 of a health event. Unlike insurance, CrowdHealth succeeds in keeping members happy and not driving up the price. CrowdHealth helps members shop for great care at a fair price, and it totally reverses the vicious incentives that got the healthcare system into the mess it's in presently. Don't let healthcare costs stand between you and your future. Join CrowdHealth today. Right now, you can get your first six months for just $99 per month. That's almost 50% off our normal price. And a lot less than a high-deductible health care plan. Just go to joincrowdhealth.com. Use promo code DREW at sign up. That is joincrowdhealth.com, promo code DREW. CrowdHealth is not a health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for health care. Terms and conditions may apply. Okay, so all interesting stuff. So DNA is your is really your um, my thing. Your thing, yeah. It is and, my thing. And, and where where were you? Where'd you go to college and, and law school? I'm just curious. Uh,
2: I went to. I graduated undergrad from St. Mary's College in the Bay Area. Then I mm-hmm. went to USF Law School. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first DNA case was in mid 90s. Um, I was working at Bay Area DA's office, and it was right when DNA first kind of came into the courtroom. I was a young prosecutor, a very serious rape case, and it was um, it was it was a big deal. Yeah. So I kind of realized the value of DNA at the time on the ability to find the truth.
1: Did Did you have any biological training in your undergraduate years?
2: No, nah, you know, I wasn't. My dad was a doctor, okay, and uh, ortho- he was an orthopedic. But um, I kind of when I went to law school, I say this and I mean it. I didn't. I only went because I I figured I, I can't deal with blood, so I'm going to go to law school and try yeah. to get a decent job. Yeah. And then halfway through school, I realized, oh my god, I love this stuff called public safety, Uh. and I just found my niche. So, but what I what was interesting, my first DNA hearing, I was probably in my maybe about thirty years old, and I had to call a renowned doctor from UC San Francisco that um, was I can't remember his name, but he was he testified about DNA and the use of DNA in the forensic capacity, in the medical capacity, uh, you know what's called PCR and all this stuff, how it was applied to medicine and that we should now be able to, you know, as he used to say, a rose is a rose is a rose. DNA is DNA is DNA, whether it's in the courtroom or whether it's actually in the healthcare profession. So I learned a lot at that time about how, you know, 23 chromosomes and everything and how we replicate it and how we can copy it now and all that stuff.
1: And and are you saying you studied it then a lot or that that case touch a lot?
2: I immersed Um, I studied it not in college, but when I got that case, I immersed myself in reading scientific journals, uh, reading transcripts of people that, you know, experts in the field of DNA to learn it. It wasn't just about the science. It was about what we call population genetics, which is the, the statistical, um, you know, aspect of it. It's like, okay, so this DNA matches this guy, but what is the likelihood somebody else might have that same DNA?
1: Right. What interests me, frankly, at this point, more than your relationship with forensics and DNA, is the historical context in which you came to that. I, I'm imagining that there was a huge—I don't know if "shadow" is the right word—but there was certainly energy in two areas in the '90s. I'm, I'm chuckling because when I say it, you're going to you're going to probably laugh too. One was HIV and AIDS. It was a major, major factor in us taking this Mm -hmm. brand new illness and coming up with a causative agent, treatments in the course of like eight years. It was unprecedented in the history of medicine. And people were like, what took so long? I was like, you understand it took a thousand years to figure out syphilis? A thousand years. We did this in eight years, and we have good treatments now. It was insane. It was so, so amazing. But genetics were at at the center of all that, Uh, or at least molecular biology as we called it at the time. And – at the same time, the O.J. Simpson trial, where people were being exposed to these ideas and confused by them, frankly. I wonder if you – I think it would be interesting for this audience if you could take us back. Did you have impressions of what was going on in the courtroom at time? What was the guy named Barry? Uh, oh,
2: Barry Shack. Barry Shack yeah, and all it his actually, maneuvering. Um, it,
1: it was, it was, it was confusing to me as a biologist what he was up to. So uh, what did you take away from all that?
2: Well, I mean I – I have the hindsight of having seen the actual evidence in that case, okay. which was, in my opinion, pretty overwhelming in terms of the DNA that was involved. Yeah. Uh, um, so set aside what the verdict was, you know, it was the w- world's first introduction. Some, many of those people that testified, I've had as, witness, had as witnesses later. I remember Dr. Robin Cotton, who was from Cellmark, and, and one of the defense attorneys was pretty well-known from Sacramento, and I did a lot of cases with him. I think part of it is that, you know, it took a while for – the world to understand what this was how it worked and you know as years progressed I remember having cases where they came back in 20 minutes and convicted the guy and they're like uh we know this stuff we don't you know they it took a while for people to understand and then you started to see people being exonerated with the same tool and it which is what we should do if it's if it's there to 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 find to identify people it should also be there to exonerate people so Once, you know, it took probably 10 years, maybe, of enough hearings and all those kinds of things, and then probably enough CSI shows and law and order and all that for people to realize, oh, this is actually a really good tool. And now we've evolved over time. Now, look what we were able to do with it uh, to solve the Golden State Killer. That was just another kind of next step to, to use the technology, DNA science, to then use it in a way that you know we use a genealogy site to identify potential relatives
1: yeah and that that's the sort of exploding area right now where people are starting to learn about their their familial historical past and it's not oftentimes what they thought it was
0: amazingly yeah, <laughs> we are mammals after <laughs> I know. all
1: so uh, <laughs> but i i want to talk a little bit about the the forensic dna if you wouldn't mind and and i would i sure. I, I worry that juries and the public and and even my listeners see it as sort of just so like DNA DNA's present DNA's not present and it really isn't a just so science per se and, and i and I and I wonder if you could give them a little primer of some of those nuances, particularly something you brought up a couple of minutes ago was the the population dynamics of DNA. I wonder if you could just give them a little primer of sure certain, yeah.
2: I mean, so I think it always first comes down to is what is the item of evidence that you got the DNA from? So, you know, one of the first cold cases we did in Sacramento was a rape murder of a, a an Asian woman um, who was uh, seven months pregnant and abducted and horribly sexually assaulted and killed. So the DNA in the case involved, you know, semen, the risk of sounding graphic. So kind of hard for the bad guy to, to claim, you know, that's a mistake. Okay. So, but then when you have, let's say you have, I don't know, a fingerprint on a window and then you get DNA off the fingerprint or something like that. There are opportunities for someone to leave their DNA behind innocently where they're not actually um, responsible. And so you have to always be mindful of what is the particular piece of evidence, a hair, you know, we are gotten to the point now where touch DNA is much more um, capable of getting DNA from that. So somebody leaves their fingerprints. And so, you know, we've had to have, not the finger, they, you know. They touch a glass or they touch something, um, but but then it does come down to statistics to some extent. But but the world of forensic DNA has advanced to the point. I remember when I first started, they were just doing the human genome project. Yeah, I think now it's it's all done. Now. Yeah, but yeah. um, and now now we just don't know, know what so to make many, of it.
1: <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> which is now true. now there's
2: so many genetic markers that are used in the forensic world that. You know, absent identical twins, if you have sufficient markers that you can get a DNA profile from, then you're 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 not likely to be finding is, anybody is else. Is that
1: piece open to a scrutiny in the court? Because that's a particularly technical piece that I I imagine the i just thinking back to the Barry Sheck days that he would sort of assail, you know, the data, the statistics on that.
2: Um, you always have to provide weight to the evidence so there's that statistical component will always be there but that's where the you know when you say that you know one out of 500 quintillion people might have the same dna it's like okay we don't have that many worlds that exist right so that's where and and then it comes down to you know like i said what is the evidence and then what's the rest of the evidence in the case is there some reason why you know sometimes on these you know you get these guys that are charged with a rape murder and they're going to say well at the beginning i didn't I never met that woman before, and then all of a sudden, by the time it goes to trial, oh, yeah, we had a relationship. I just didn't t- want to tell anybody, and somebody else must have killed her. So it's always a, yeah. a way to explain away yeah. the evidence sometimes yeah. as opposed to— No,
1: I get it. That's that's the courtroom, right? Or somebody saying, they planted that glass with my fingerprints on it. She had it in for me. Uh, right. But right. W- what is the statistical limit— before which something is not a strong piece of evidence in terms of the probability of the match? One, you know, one in a million, one in 20 million? How, how, where do your head f- fit in on that?
2: Well, I think it comes back to, I'm, I'm going to give you an example. The first DNA case I did in Sacramento was a kidnap, sexual assault of a five-year-old little girl. And this is in, I did the trial in around 99, and then the, the crime happened in, couple years earlier early days of dna and i think the stats were something like one in nine million or one in 10 million so the likelihood that somebody else left this dna other than the guy that's charged you know you'd find one out of 10 million people then you add in the things like well he's from this area and he matches the description and all those so the weight of the evidence the power of the dna now is so overwhelmingly powerful in terms of statistics the only limitation might be if the dna is degraded or, you know, it's it's been sitting there for a long time. It's an old case and you get what's called a, a partial profile. But then again, it you know, it's like, what's the like? I mean, you got all these things that happen together. He's you know, she describes this guy as a white guy with brown hair and he's got a big nose and all these things. And all of a sudden the DNA matches the white guy with brown hair and a big nose. So it's yeah. kind of the combination of the circumstantial evidence that goes together.
1: It, it, it is kind of interesting though. Humans are extremely poor at assessing probabilities and the difference between one and 10 to the seventh versus one and 10 to the 16th. They, they, it's like, yeah. it. They, they te- you know, when you, you're not going to bring that up in court. You're saying it's one in 10 million. So likely it happened as opposed to one in 10 quintillion, as you said, which is right. a lot better right. evidence. Really yeah. kind of interesting area. It, it is, um, are there things, tools you need that science is trying to give you or can't give you? In other words, you like, I wish you could do, you have a wish list of things that you wish was more, had greater certitude to it or less probabilistic kind of a, you know what I mean? Uh, Things that would make. I think,
2: um, I think that, you know, the latest tool, which was used to solve the golden state killer is the use of what's called SNPs. It stands for single nucleotide polymorphism. It's the, it basically gives you way more data yeah. than like the traditional forensic stuff. And so let's say instead of looking at 25 places on the DNA, which is what a lot of the crime labs are doing, this allows you to look at 700 places. That's why genealogy can be very powerful. So I think we haven't gotten to that point where that's just an automatic in the forensic world. Mm. So we're evolving. There's a lot of you know private companies out there that are developing these tools that, that can do that. But I've always looked at it, listen. The, the sooner we identify someone that's responsible for crime, the sooner we prevent it, and the sooner we eliminate people that are not responsible for crime, right? Yeah. So whatever we can do on that regard, it's just going to be better for for everybody, really. Yeah. the bad guy, I
1: yeah. suppose. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Let's go back to politics for just a few more minutes. Um, well, maybe before the politics. I, I'm curious about the unemployment fraud scandal. I feel like we have stuff like that popping up all over the place, as the government uh, hands out money. <laughs> it's just yeah. sort of, sort of, uh, yeah. just like with a with a giant hose. Is there a way to prevent that? Is there a lot more to be done in terms of collecting the funds that have been misappropriated? Where, where are we at with well, all that? Just the fact that that think- happens and it happens from prison sometimes is so astonishing to the average citizen.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's, at least in my opinion, I don't think we'll ever see a case of this magnitude where the taxpayer dollars were ripped off to the, I mean, listen, we're talking about 20 to $30 billion in California, which, by the way, the money has to, as far as I understand it, has to be paid back at some point. So that cost is going to be, it's not like the criminals are going to offer to give back the money they spent on the Maserati, right? Right. So, um, you know, there might be, as I say, pennies on the dollar that's recovered from the people that were actually charging and prosecuting. Um, But it was, you know, the reason why in large part why it happened in the first place was because our government system did not have it set up that you what we call cross match, meaning you go to prison. That you should be able to say, oh, you shouldn't get unemployment because you're doing 20 years to life in prison. So we didn't have that system, whereas where like 30 plus states in the country did. So that's that was the biggest, as we said, that you know the door was wide open for people to walk into. Now, do I think we've made progress? 100. percent. I think okay. when that's we reassuring. kind of exposed it all, yeah. we exposed it. You know, I think we the EDD department moved at lightning speed because of the obviously the. Massive
1: impact.
2: Um, There's always going to be thieves. That's just the nature of the world. Well, that's right. That's
1: where I wanted to go next. Exactly. It it occurs to me, and I've been noticing this particularly during the pandemic and things, is that I feel like politicians, and and certainly politicians of a certain stripe, have seemingly—I don't know if it's just a perception or if this is in fact the case—seemingly no understanding— of the basics of human motivation and the reality of human behavior like m- total denial about that and and what is that why can't why what 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 do we do with people that don't understand how humans work and are creating the the uh sort of the carrots and the sticks in our society that helps uh humans be their best i
2: think it almost comes back to like prop 47 you know the promises were made that you know oh we're going to reduce theft and drug crimes and we're going to get people the help they need. Well, we, we really haven't done that. We've created, I mean, there's two types of people under Prop 47. There's the addicts that are stealing to support their habit. And mm-hmm. then there's just the thieves, mm-hmm. right? Yep. They're going to steal, steal, steal. And they're going to go sell it to other people. And, yep. I mean, look what happened at the trains in LA and yep. all that and everything yep. else. So yep. to me, it's just, um, it is politics. It's people that just don't want to hold people accountable. They they have they've made decisions based on ideology rather than reality and practicality
1: okay so that's always goes bad for humans right whenever ideology rules humans suffer I mean that's just look at history that's just well, everywhere
2: I mean you can have an ideology but you got to face reality here
1: I, I, I think see I, I, mean, I always think of ideologies as a utopian and a divorce from reality and so and at least that's the way I see it. And uh, I'd say operating out there in the world, and and the, the unwillingness to accept how humans work—it's really, I, it's so it's mystifying. It really is mystifying. And, and I understand that they may have their own motivational structures around, you know, as you said, they're well funded or they're socially reinforced for it or something. But uh, uh, the fact that the the legislative bodies that are supposed to be thinking about these things come to that. Same place without any regard for the impact on human behavior and a denial. And then they dig of in their knowledge.
2: heels when, they, when the when when the opposite is happening. People dig in their heels. I mean, look at this—the theft. Yeah. I mean, there are people trying to dig in their heels, saying, "Oh no, theft is down, theft is down." It's not down. That's it's ridiculous. It's not being reported
1: anymore. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, it's it's just it's just an absurd position to take. We all see it. You walk in a drugstore, you will see it just yeah. even just everything behind the plastic, and you, know, you can't get it. Anything you want to buy, why do you think that is? Do you think the the drugstores, the the CVS, enjoys challenging their 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 patrons that they might walk out before they get the help to get behind the plastic? Yeah. What, again, human behavior. What what do you think CVS is up to? You think they're just trying to prevent you from buying the deodorant, or you think right. there those right. safeguards in place right. to prevent somebody from stealing the deodorant? Which which is it, everybody? Um, but all right, whatever. I, I get very <laughs> I get very frustrated and and I find myself always feeling a certain amount of disgust. And and yep. and disgust is a very weird emotion. It it's one of the it's very hard to sit with it and it's very motivating. Uh it motivates you to move away. Uh and unfortunately, I feel helpless and hopeless in regard I because I've been thinking and talking about these things for so many years that right. my disgust just at this point just has me just not wanting to talk about it anymore. I think
2: we're at a tipping point. I don't think there's any. I mean, listen, I, I my whole campaign is about the chaos we have in California. And that's part of the theme, which is true. But for me, it's like we're at a tipping point in the state. We have to make a decision on how do we want to raise our children and our grandchildren? And is this really humane the way that we are? What we're seeing,
1: I I don't know if I trust the electorate. In that the the fact that they put Newsom back in his position was so shocking to me. At least that they did it with such enthusiasm, that was a shock to my system. And I literally have PTSD from that. Where now I'm expecting anything, anything, you know, anything. What's the next shock going to be? Uh, that was startling to me. Like, how could you? You you're happy with what this guy's doing? I mean, I don't, I don't. Good on you, but whoa, that 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 fact that you did that just because the guy has a D after his name, I guess, or I don't know what motivated you to put, or maybe the fear of the other guys that were running. I I don't know what it was. But to do that with that degree of um, ease was just a shock to my system. So I worry that for folks like you that are trying to get the, the electorate's ear and uh, make real change in a positive direction that really helps us in California. I mean, I, and when you get attacked, what, what's the sort of source of the attack? What do they attack you on? In other words, are you, so, so you're interested in, you're interested in imprisoning she just drug wants addicts. People at, yeah. yeah. I mean, she,
2: just wants, she wants to criminalize homelessness.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Criminalize homelessness. That that's, 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 but,
2: yeah, yeah. um, you know, she wants to you know, mass, it's the same thing, mass incarceration. Which, if you really understood me and saw what we do every day in our courtroom and in our community, that's really where we really actually want to get people help. Yeah. I'd be thrilled if I was out of a job, but we're never going to be out of a job. We But we have to still hold people accountable. When you commit a violent crime, you need to go.
1: I, I can't tell you how many people I treated that were motivated by the uh, criminal justice system. And successfully treated, and finally, and they may have sometimes serve a little time. Some of them did whatever. The judges were very appropriate with, you know, people who are actually doing well and re- regaining right. their life and t- being properly yes. treated. And, and so, you know, the, I, I I'm interested in human motivation, and you motivate people with a carrot and a stick, uh, and you do right. not let people with a brain disease that prevents them from seeing. There's a disorder. You ever heard of the term anosognosia?
2: Mm-mm.
1: It's originally invented. It's coined by a guy named Babinski, the famous Babinski sign, uh, in regards to people with a right middle cerebral artery stroke where the whole left side of their body is out sensory and motor-wise, they have hemiplegia, and they're not aware of it. They have a complete ignorance of everything left, not just their body, but everything left-sided in the world. Like if you write, mm-hmm. if you have them write a clock, they'll put all the numbers on the right side. Oh, so wow. the left just doesn't, it's called anisognosia and anosognosia is a feature of serious mental illness it comes under other acronyms like denial or lack of insight but when it gets severe when they're really sick it's biological they can't they can't see what's happening to them much like a dementia patient can't see what's happening to them and when you have anosognosia you have an obligation a, a, a ethical moral obligation to help people because in that state of anosognosia they will die or they will kill somebody or they will do mm-hmm. something awful mm-hmm. because it's in the nature of the illness. And uh, how intervening for anosognosia and dementia versus anosognosia in advanced addiction or serious uh, schizophrenia or something. And the, the crazy thing of all, the craziest thing of all, Emery is that the dementia patient who i intervene upon i can't i can't alter the course of that illness that person's going right. to get worse right. i can keep them safe with their behaviors but i can't schizophrenia if i intervene early they can be restored and if i right. and if it goes later they're done same thing with addiction both disorders damage the brain irreversibly over time so us not intervening early actually doesn't just keep them not safe, yeah. but it also allows them to deteriorate into much more advanced and irreversible illnesses. That is unthinkable. No other countries do that. I don't know why we do that. It's too much. But anyway, there we are. Good times. There uh, we are. There <laughs> so, we are. <laughs> so, uh, uh, when is the uh is the is it uh, twenty four that the vote is up?
2: Oh, no, it's 22. It's in June. But actually, the ballots come out May 9th this year, so right. people will be voting in May, but uh, yeah. Well,
1: get out the vote, a, everybody. There's an
2: insight here. There's an insight here going, and so we're working very hard on this.
1: Well, I, I wish you best of luck. I, I don't. Who are, you, who are you up against?
2: I'm up against the guy that's the current appointed guy. That's uh, His name is Rob Bonta. He's like Gascon in, in San Francisco DA, and there's two guys out, two Republicans out of Los Angeles County as well. Are, I'm the, are, you know, are better pe- or worse. I'm the only woman in the race. I'm happy to be that.
1: Are people understanding that uh, Gascon and his buddies are at the core of this problem? Destroying things? Are, yeah. Are they, are they um, people? I think the in bl-
2: LA, and, yeah. I mean, those there's recalls going on there. So I think people and people need to understand. Obviously, I think it's very important people understand that the current appointed AG is the same ideology as Gascon and, and Bodine.
1: Hey, let, let me ask this. I've always wondered this. Why don't the assistant ads and the underlings under the A- ad? Uh, 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 am I using that word? DA. I'm sorry. DA? under the yeah. DA. Um, do they become more vocal during electoral times, or do they risk losing their jobs if they speak out against their boss? Because well, I, I always wonder. I feel bad for them. You know, like what are they the, thinking? They and they are silent.
2: This this year is well. LA County, the DAs are unionized. They've come out very vocally. They sued him to do his job and they've come out to support the recall, which, you know, many of us support obviously. And then, but in San Francisco, there's the prosecutors are not unionized. So they are at will. So yeah, I would predict they're probably scared to death. They're going to get fired if they say anything. And some have been canned early on. So I'd be, you know, I can understand it. Yeah. Um, It's a, it's a scary, I mean, they, they go into this profession to help people. Yeah. And if you're, if you, speak ill against your boss. They're worried they're going to get fired.
1: Again, disgusting. All right. Well, uh, look for Anne-Marie Schubert on the ballot coming up in uh, the spring, early summer. And uh, anything else you'd like to point out or say before we sign out? Just
2: uh, thanks for your time. And I appreciate it. I am. I'm the real deal. That's what I say.
1: It's a lot of fun. I hope people see that. Anne-Marie for AG.com. At Schubert4AG. I know a lot of you are not in California, so this isn't directly affecting you, but you hear Adam and I complaining about California a lot. And uh, here is someone actually trying to do something about it. So
0: thanks so much for, for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. You betcha. Have
2: a great day, you guys. Thank
0: you, you too Stream the biggest movies and TV shows for free on Pluto TV. Watch movies like Titanic and G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, plus TV shows like CSI and Star Trek The Next Generation. Starting this month, check out the 24-7 Stargate channel exclusively on Pluto TV, plus hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and TV shows absolutely free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device and start watching today.